12.08, good afternoon, Wisconsin. Jerry Bader in once again for Jeff Wagner. So if you're not listening carefully, portions of today's show will sound like a sports talk show. Well, I suppose technically they will. those portions will be. Kind of. In fact, the, you want to talk about spontaneous radio. I'm about to commit spontaneous radio. I've got about an inch worth of paper in front of me, the, the planned show. And then I just heard the news that the Steelers are in no way going to protect wide receiver Antonio Brown and let him test the free agency market. If you haven't been following this at all, Antonio Brown has been in a feud with the Steelers organization, and there's really no surprise this is going to happen. So I googled Antonio Brown. Here are two of the things that came up. A video from ESPN, and I haven't watched it because the show was about to begin. I didn't have time. Antonio Brown and Aaron Rodgers would be happy together. That's from ESPN, from Fox Sports, Colin Cowherd. Antonio Brown to the Packers makes way too much sense. So at some point in the show, which means, Kyle, you're going to have to mess with the outline I sent you again, because I, I want to do a segment. I want to do a segment later. Uh, I don't know. This means I have to bump something, and I haven't decided what I want to bump yet. So I, I want to explain a little bit, because I don't think people have been following the saga all that closely, unless you're really a sports junkie, the way in which Antonio Brown has been behaving. And I'll do two things. All right, so the feud that he's had with the Steelers, the way he's behaved, and his obvious oodles and oodles of talent. Should the Packers be in the Antonio Brown Derby? The Eagles appear to be uh, a team that's definitely going after him. Other teams will as well. Uh, you would think a receiver the talent of Antonio Brown would definitely have an interest in having Aaron Rodgers throwing the ball to him. We'll get to that later in the show. I, I, I haven't decided what I'm going to jettison, but I'm going to have to jettison something. Now, this first segment is going to sound like a sports topic, but it's not. If you just if you take what I just said, and then I'm about to talk about the NBA All-Star Game, well, it sounds like a sports topic. It's not. As I was on the air yesterday, we received this text, and I printed it so I could share a portion of it with you. It's from a listener uh, while well, I was filling in for Jeff yesterday. I have a request for a subject that could be talked about on your show. What did people think about our national anthem as it was sung at the recent professional all-star basketball game, the NBA all-star game? I had no idea because I didn't see the all-star game. I'm not, I'm not an NBA fan. Clearly, the way the Bucks are performing, I am paying attention, uh, boy, more closely to the NBA than I have in a long time. Basketball is my third sport. It's a distance third football is number one baseball is number two but moving fast with the brewers being as tantalizing as they are and look with the bucks playing the way they're playing it's hard i'm noticing i gotta tell you most of northeast wisconsin isn't noticing but i'm noticing and i am getting really excited about the bucks and they are just clearly one of the dominant teams in the nba right now but even with that i still did not watch the all-star game i just 
I, I, I'm not fully dialed in to the NBA anywhere beyond the Bucks yet. So I went to Googling, and I found it, and I listened to it. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to read the portion of the text from the listener that I just read, and then, Kyle, as soon as I've read that again, you can just go ahead and play the uh, rendition by Anthony Hamilton of the National Anthem, and then we're going to take calls. What do you think about it? So here's the text again. I have a request for a subject that could be talked about on your show. What did people think about how our National Anthem was sung at the recent professional All-Star basketball game? Let's find out. Kyle, go ahead. Please remain standing. Here to perform the Star-Spangled Banner is an acclaimed singer, songwriter, record producer, and Grammy winner from Charlotte, North Carolina, Anthony Hamilton. So proudly we hear at the twilight last gleaming, whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight and the ramparts we watch was so gallant. In about two minutes, I just want you to either call or text. Let me know what you think. Let us know what you think about that. On the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, if you're already in the queue, please just hang on a couple of minutes. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. News Radio WTMJ. Twelve eighteen News Radio WTMJ Jerry in for Jeff. If you're just joining us, I played the rendition of the national anthem as it was performed by Anthony Hamilton last week at the NBA All Star Game. We received a text about it here at WTMJ yesterday saying, "Hey, 
Why don't you see what people think about this? So I played it. Now we're going to see what you think about it. You can uh, give us a call or text on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. Let's start first alphabetically. A for Adam in Brookfield. Adam, hi, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, good afternoon. In the arts field, there is a phrase called creative license. And what he did was more self-promotion and pontificating about his expertise as a singer because he was very good. The national anthem, to me at least, has a level of solemnity that that should be respected because of what what it stands for or what it means. And this guy was just self-promoting, and that becomes an abomination far and beyond creative license. Okay, so if you take excessive creative license and make it your own, is that, in your mind, disrespectful to the anthem? Given... Given what he was singing, I believe so. He might not have thought it was disrespectful. I think he took advantage of the fact that he was self-promoting, and that it was just too far. I didn't like the first ten seconds into it uh, because it it wasn't it didn't sound like national anthem to me. Adam, thanks a lot for the call. Appreciate it. To Scott in Franklin, Scott, go ahead. Okay, how do we get from A to S? But that's good with me. Um, I, I, agree with <laughs> I don't have any B's, C's, or D's. Okay, I agree with the last caller. It's exactly what I was going to say. You know, it's uh, it's a song that deserves respect. It's a song that does not deserve to be rewritten. And my thought was he just did that to promote his own platform, his own music, and that's not the stage for it. This is this is a song that needs to be respected the way it was written, the way it was originally recorded, and the way everybody else in America sings it. Um, so I Let me ask you this. Yeah. If if it wasn't the national anthem, would you have enjoyed the way that song is performed? Um, no, because I don't like so much music that he plays. But it, he, he had a good oh, voice. Okay. I'll give him that. I'll give him. He had a good voice. He carried himself well, but not my genre of music. But no, I if I if I didn't know the national anthem, I would say this song stinks. Oh, okay. Um, thanks a lot for the call. Uh, see, I, I will say this. I think I I enjoyed the song. Okay? I'm not, I don't want to tip my hat hand just yet in terms of how I feel about this. I will tell you my wife is the most purest of the purest when it comes to the National Anthem, and any creative license really bothers her, and I have not had a chance to discuss this with her. To uh, Todd in Greenfield. Todd, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Um, my view on it, being a musician myself and been in many cover bands, you either make it your own and make it obvious, or you cover it and try and cover it to a teeth. Um, with what he did to the, he didn't mean to be disrespectful, but it was a distraction. And I would be afraid that when you change, especially the national anthem and what it stands for, and everyone has sung it the same since, it's like changing a prayer. I mean, you... The other people, people can't sing to it. It's, a, it's kind of a distraction for what it represents. So I respect him and, and like him as, as an artist, but this is one of those songs that you shouldn't change. Okay, thanks a lot for the call. Uh, I want to uh, just respond to that with a uh, text from Bob in Greenfield. 
I see no problem with it. We're just used to the other way. I think it was very classy. But the caller just made an interesting point about not being able to sing to it. Is it disrespectful to Karen on the North Shore? Uh, Karen, go ahead. I enjoyed it. I thought he did a good job of singing it. He did nothing any different than Ray Charles did when he sang it, or Whitney Houston, or Marvin Gaye. I thought he did an amazing job, and I enjoyed it. Do what do you what do you say to people who say that uh, it it dishonors or disrespects the anthem to change it from its traditional way that the music is performed? Then they lack creativity, and all he did was he's an artist and he put a creative twist to it, and that's all it is. Karen, thanks a lot for the call. To Alan in Hartford. Alan, go ahead. Hey, um, I liked it. I didn't see anything wrong with it. Um, I don't think he disrespected that song. Like the last caller said, is plenty of uh, singers and musicians in, uh, throughout time that has performed this song in their own different way. Um, he just put his own twist on it. It's not like that. He sung it as if we all have to memorize it and sing, sing it exactly like that. It, it, I mean, it, it was the NBA All Star Weekend. You know, you know, it was entertainment, and he's an entertainer, and I, I think he did great. Um, I mean, I, I don't think he did any worse than Fergie or Roseanne Barr song. It, you know, uh, it, I, I liked it. It was all right to say it, to say it was disrespectful. I think he's just going overboard. Um, everyone changes songs. Everyone changes prayers. I mean, it's still the same. It's not like it's like a law, or it's not. It's not like it's going to catch on because everyone in the country cannot sing like anthony hamilton <laughs> i mean the, version, <laughs> the, the original version is awesome i mean my kids uh yeah. excited, but i mean it's, it's fun to hear different you know I, well i can't well i can't sing at all but i can't I, I struggle to sing along with the original thanks a lot for the call uh, we're going to take more calls on this he mentioned he referenced fergie actually one thing everyone agreed on last year was nobody liked fergie's performance of the anthem at the all-star game a lot of people want to weigh in, 414-799-1620 at the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. So we're going to stay on this a while. 1225 News Radio, WTMJ. Twelve twenty-seven news radio WTMJ. If you are just tuning in a while back in the earlier half hour, I played the national anthem as performed by Anthony Hamilton at the NBA All Star Game because a listener yesterday texted us and said, "Hey, you should ask listeners what they think of this." That's what I'm doing right now. I have not weighed in yet. To Mike in Elkhorn, Mike, you're next. Go ahead. Hi, I loved it. I thought it was great. I thought it was very creative. Doesn't mean I don't like the original way the song is sung, but it sure beats the way Roseanne sung it. Well, yeah, I mean, there is there is Roseanne. There is that. That was got San Diego, the Padres, way back when. Thanks a lot for the call. There are those who feel that there is something sacred, almost, about the National Anthem. And that you sh- you can take minimal creative license with it. We are getting people from all over the board here. To Helen in New Berlin. Helen, you're up next on TMJ. Go ahead. Hi. If I wouldn't know the words to the national anthem, I wouldn't have even recognized the song. He has an amazing voice. And I'm sorry. I 
there are thousands and thousands and thousands of songs you can change and interpret the way you want. But the national anthem, that's for our country. And I, for one, love our country. When I hear it sung the way it is supposed to be sung, I get choked up every single time, and I've heard it so many times. But you could, I didn't even recognize it. Well, okay, so if you didn't recognize it, now you knew, you knew it was going to be the national anthem, though, so is it, does it in any way diminish or disrespect the anthem to do it in a way with which you are not familiar I believe so, yeah. Uh, the, the one song, one song, you can leave it as it is. You don't need to change it. It's an amazing song. It's a powerful song the way it is. It doesn't need to be changed or have all this sung into it. And No, it doesn't need to be changed. And, yeah, I believe it is disrespectful. Hi, Helen. Thanks a lot for the call. We have a lot of people I want to weigh in on this yet, so we will stick on this one more segment after the news, and then I will tell you what I think about this. I will say this. I am somewhat conflicted on this, but if you want to get in on the conversation on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620, 414-799-1620. More calls on this after the news. Twelve thirty-five News Radio WTMJ. Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner. All over the board on this. We are talking about the rendition of the Star Spangled Banner by Anthony Hamilton at the NBA All Star Game. A listener texted the station yesterday said, "Hey, you should talk about this. See what your listeners think." They've been all over the board. To give you an example on this, I played it in the last half hour. Uh, these are back-to-back texts. Awesome job. Gave it a new twist. Much better than Roseanne. The very next text. That was worse than Roseanne Barr. I will weigh in in a bit on what I think. Let's get back to the phones. Paul on the North Shore, thanks for waiting. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Jerry, thanks for taking the call. Um, you yep. know, the people that say that it has to be sung the right way, I'm not sure what the right way is because it is artistic expression. But I guess I would ask them, if you want to sing it the traditional way, what happens when the person singing it forgets the words? Is that more or less disrespectful than somebody who does it in their own artistic way? Because there are plenty of people that have forgotten the words. They happened at Lambeau Field this fall. So isn't that really disrespectful when you don't even know the words? Or is it really disrespectful when you change it to your own personal expression? It's not disrespectful. I thought he did a great job. uh, Thanks a lot for the call. To his point about forgetting the words, he didn't change the words. It's still the national anthem, but apparently a lot of people feel that if you change the delivery system, that is the notes, the music, the style, that that's disrespectful to Jack in Waukesha. Jack, you're on WTMJ. Hi there. As a, as a veteran that served this country, I thought uh, he, did a, he did a good job. You know, he didn't change, change the words, uh, artistic expression. Um, you wouldn't want to hear me at a Brewer game or a Packer game sing but I have 40 or 80,000 people drowning out my voice. Um, I think he did a really good job. Thanks a lot for the call. And it's really interesting because if I look at the text messages here, the text messages here in front of me. If This is like there's an expression about cats 
both the play and the animal. People either love them or hate them. It's just, and this is the same. Very few people are lukewarm on this. Let's go to Sandy in Fox Point. Sandy, go ahead. Um, hi. First of all, I am a purist when it comes to the national anthem. I think it is, um, it's a, a respect for our country and for those who have served it. I don't feel that when it's sung at something like um, one of these events that it is entertainment. I feel that if, if these people want to change the um, lyrics and how it's delivered, if they're presenting a concert somewhere, um, I think that's fine. But this is a national um, event, and I think it should be presented that way. Um, well, he, he, he didn't change the lyrics, but to your point, um, is there anything wrong with making the anthem more entertaining than the original composition? I don't feel that it's supposed to be entertaining. Well, does it hurt if it is, though? Pardon? Does it hurt if it is? No, it doesn't hurt if it is if it's done in a different venue. I feel that these venues hmm. are, are something special and, and that um, it should be sung the way it was written. I, I guess I would ask some of these people if they've ever listened to the history of the song. And if they have, they might, they might think differently of how they sing it. That's just my, my opinion. Okay, Sandy, thanks a lot for the call. To Rick in Oostburg. Rick, go ahead, you're next. Thank you. Um, I think that there are three elements to someone singing or leading an audience in the Star-Spangled Banner. Respect, tradition, and unity. It will be presented perhaps 1,000 times today across our country at high school games, college games, professional games, soccer matches. It is one moment where we stand together, we place our hands on our heart, we remove our caps, gentlemen, and we join together respectfully, traditionally, in the national anthem. Entertainment is one thing. Our national anthem is a little bit separate. They should have given the gentleman an opportunity to display his talent and his personalized style, and then we should have sung together the national anthem. I, I think that is how we do it in this country and why that song is selected 10,000 times today and not God Bless America or, you know, Everything is Beautiful or, or whatever song there might be. All right, thanks a lot for the call. We are going to uh, do one more segment on this. Uh, first, let me tell you how I feel. Uh, and then uh, in a couple of minutes, we'll take a few more calls. Uh, Kyle, we're going to have to do some magic here uh, with the way that I see the callers' names. And uh, it's the Academic Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. But here's where I come down on this. And I ha- I'm going to confess, my attitude has been shaped a bit by what I've heard and read. I uh, I was completely conflicted on this and the last caller quite candidly um he uh he's really got me thinking that he's right in that i here's here's where i'm stuck i'm a purist on the national anthem 
I really loved that song as a song. I actually really enjoyed the performance. But what the, that last caller just said, I, um, I really think he made a good point, that they could have given Anthony Hamilton a chance to show his talent and then sing the national anthem in a traditional fashion. I Maybe that was the way to go. But I've got to tell you, I'm really torn because normally I am very much a purist on the anthem. But I did like that rendition. But I also understand the, the last caller's respect, tradition, and unity. And I think he's got a really good point. 414-799-1620-1242, News Radio WTMJ. Twelve forty-four News Radio WTMJ Jerry in for Jeff. If you want to get in, this is the last call on this topic. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. A ton of texts on this, as well as all the calls we have taken. Uh, Bobby Joe from Pell Lake. Well, I think the version was okay, and what we're talking about is the way the national anthem was performed at the NBA All Star Game last week. Uh, I will tell you, I had a feeling this topic would go this way. Anthony Hamilton's rendition, and he certainly took great artistic license with the way you were familiar with the anthem. This sounded nothing like it, but I think it was a a great artistic performance. Most people weighing in don't dispute that. A couple did. But most think yeah, it was a fine artistic performance, but they think he took too much creative and artistic license. I did some research on this after a listener yesterday texted us suggesting we take this up. And Twitter reaction and pundit reaction is also split. Some some appreciate the artistic license that he took and the creativity. Others don't. So back to Bobby Joe from Pell Lake. Well, I think the version was okay of the National Anthem. I do not find it appropriate to sing like that at such an important game. It should be sung in the original version so that others really can appreciate and sing along with the national anthem and these uh, and can sing along and appreciate it in its original form. This version made that impossible. That does give me pause. Here's the way I was leaning on this, is that I didn't have a problem with it. And I, I really think it, I enjoy the way he performed it. I'll be honest. I like his rendition better than the original, artistically. But where I'm hung up is on what other people are saying. Is it appropriate to take artistic license when, and I, and I really love what this caller, he had three criteria for performance of the Star Spangled Banner. Respect, tradition, and unity. I don't think there's disrespect here. Just because something has always been done that way doesn't mean it always has to be done that way. But his, so I don't think it was disrespectful. So I think we're okay with his first criteria. The other two, tradition and unity. Particularly the unity. You can't sing along. So I guess in that regard, I would say it, tradition is important for the purpose of unity. He kind of sold me on that 
But otherwise, I got to tell you, I really, really, really like the way Anthony Hamilton did it in terms of artistically judging that song. But the song in question is the national anthem. So, yeah, at events like this, if you, if you are going to promote unity, you probably do have to stick to tradition. But I'm going to be honest, I really like his version, and I don't think it was disrespectful. That's, uh, that's just the way that I see it. Um, uh, uh, caller, uh, okay, we do have the caller. To Barb in Minneapolis. Barb, hi, you're on WTMJ. Hi, um, I was just saying that I, I don't really feel any disrespect in it. I guess I felt more, more like confusion because... And as far as I know, and I'm not like a music major or anything, but, you know, a song is made up of so many notes and, and, and so many beats, and if you change it enough, it becomes another song. So I guess it was kind of getting really close to becoming another song, even though I liked it, you know, it's just, it didn't seem like the same song to me. And, and that, Barb, you and I are pretty much of a like mind on this. Thanks a lot for the call. I really, really, really liked his version. I, I really did. But I think the, the earlier caller's point about tradition and unity, I just, I don't see it was disrespectful and I don't see it as disgraceful. Several callers and texters did, particularly texters. I, I didn't. I mean, what Roseanne Barr did was disrespectful. I have heard other renditions that I considered disrespectful. And yeah, forgetting the words is disrespectful. I, I don't see it that way. But I do get the point about familiarity, recognizability, and being able to sing along. So my mushy-mushy take on this is, yeah, you should probably play it straight, but I really like the way he did it. 1250 News Radio WTMJ. Twelve fifty three News Radio WTMJ. We had uh, a number of comments in the last forty five minutes that dealt with being disrespectful or inappropriate when it came to the national anthem. I am trying to decide whether to do a topic tomorrow. I, I'm really struggling if I want to. I can't decide. So these days, I'm home in the afternoons. I won't get into why, but I am. I'm home in the afternoons. Up in Green Bay, so what happens is you have local news at four, you know, kind of common in TV markets around the country. Then one of the stations, WBAY, they have their local news at 4. Then they have Family Feud at 4.30. Okay, I just leave Family Feud on one. I do kind of like the game. I also thought it was a clever game, all the way back to the Richard Dawson days. But mostly because I plan on watching the news again. Then they do another newscast at 5 o'clock. So I just leave it on. I tend to be preparing dinner. My wife gets home between 4.30 and I work on dinner and so on. Have you watched uh, Family Feud lately? Now, like in the last couple of years, some of the questions and some of the answers, 
it's at least PG-13 at times. And it really frustrates me because I know I'm sounding... I just am in a place in my life where I, I prefer not to have that in entertainment. Quite frankly, not that long ago in my life, I used to. But you get questions and answers that include the, uh, that I won't even describe here on the air. And it's on at 4.30 in the afternoon. And I, I, did, I don't know. Uh, Kyle, you can just let me know in my ear. Do you have any idea if it plays in the afternoon in the Milwaukee TV market? I haven't seen Milwaukee TV in a long time. But I, I, he's, uh, Kyle's not sure. I am telling you, like kids coming home from school and stuff, um, the clinical term for the male anatomy, for that appendage, is used often, or slang for it is used often. There are questions that are designed. Let me just tell you one of the questions. I don't even know if I want to. Yeah, I'm going to do this. We ask 100 people, name something you would put in your ear that you wouldn't put in your butt. That was a question. I mean, am I wrong being offended by that? We're not taking that up today. We are, we're not going to take that up today. I want to marinate on that for well, the next 20, I don't know, 22-ish hours or so and decide if I want to do that. So here's what we are going to do in the next hour. I have broached this topic on the radio many times. First, it was millennials. And now, if you're not aware, we are into the next generation of adults beyond millennials. Some call them I-generation. You have baby boomers. You had Gen X. Millennials are Gen Y. This would be Gen Z, or as I said, the I-generation. But both they and the millennials share something in common. And that is, they have massive anxiety issues. As generations... And I cannot, for the life of me, figure out why. Now, I had lunch with a friend today, or breakfast, rather. Breakfast with a friend today. It felt like lunch to me because I normally eat breakfast, or I drink a shake, like at 6 in the morning. I didn't do that today. I had actual breakfast in a restaurant. And she and I were having this conversation. She had seen this. I saw it myself yesterday. She goes, hey, you should see this thing about anxiety. And, and the reason she brought it up is because we have talked about her anxiety issues. Because I can't figure out why she has them. She's an attractive, intelligent young lady. And I, I, I don't know where they come from. So I want to get into that in the next hour. Also... Milwaukee apparently is a slam dunk to host the Democratic National Convention. Apparently, Democrats are convinced that that helps their prospects in carrying the state, which, of course, something they didn't do in 2016 for the first time in over three decades. So, a couple of things there. One, wow, Apparently, the DNC, apparently the Democratic Party feels Wisconsin is still central, still critical to their electoral prospects. I find that interesting. But two, is there any reason to believe that hosting the DNC in Milwaukee 
is going to improve their prospects at all. I really don't see it. I just, I am skeptical that that really, really helps their chances. Also, still to come in the show, I know uh, Scott filling in for Steve yesterday talked about this, but I do want to talk about the ACLU's action against the Kenosha Unified School District for a big booby and big booty awards at their annual sports banquet. This sounds like uh, something out of an episode of Mad Men. How does this happen to high school students in 2018, which is when it happened? Absolutely stunning. We'll get to all of that starting after the news, 1259 News Radio WTMJ. One oh nine, hour two of the Jeff Wagner Show. Sons, Mr. Wagner, Jerry Bader in his stead. All right, so I've done some juggling here. I, I mean that metaphorically. I wouldn't try to juggle. Trust me, I'm the ten clumsiest people I know. I really, I really. Anyway, juggling the schedule, and uh, what we're going to do is at one thirty. I want to take up the topic of Antonio Brown. Steelers are no way going to protect him. He hits the free agency market. Should the Packers be interested? Should the Packers be one of the hottest uh, pursuers when free agency gets underway next month? Man, this is one of these. there's, There's kind of a moral dilemma element to that story. I mean, he hasn't, you know, he hasn't been, I, I wouldn't say, He's one of the trouble children wide receivers, like we've seen in the NFL past. But when you look at the things he has said about the Steelers organization, does all of that get forgiven when you think the guy can help you win a Super Bowl? I remember broaching this conversation a few years ago when Indomitian Sue was on the market. You know, very good, but man, uh, troubled defensive lineman drafted by the Lions. I had a show in northern Wisconsin at that time, Sheboygan, Green Bay, and Wausau. Boy, as I recall it, the callers, no, we need him, no, we need him. Boy, if we could get him, we should take him. Never mind he stomped on the throat of one of our offensive linemen. Well, that's different. He'd be doing it for us now. I always find that phenomenon interesting. Uh, Not a free agent. Oh, they're agreeing to trade him? Oh, Oh, sorry about that. I thought, is that... Did that just happen? Because I heard the news earlier. Was it? Oh, Le'Veon Bell. Man, I'm telling you. Okay, I heard it wrong. Thank you for correcting me on that. Well, I don't know if we're going to do that topic then, because I don't think the Packers should trade for him. Okay. I, I honestly heard in the news that it meant he was going to become a free agent. So I got totally confused. I must have got Le'Veon Bell in there. Uh, okay. Oh, ooh, ooh. Oh, Kyle, genius. That actually is a much better topic. You've just salvaged my full paw. So we have an extra first-round pick. We do. Would we... That may, 
Oh, yeah, that should be enough for him, shouldn't it? Wouldn't you think? That is a good topic. Should the Packers trade for him? I I think that would be an inch. Oh, boy. He's 30 years old. Do you want to give up a first-round pick for that? Or do you want to package those picks? Kyle, save the topic. We will still get to that at 1.30. And I've wasted about five minutes that I shouldn't have setting that up, given we're going to do it after 1.30. And it may be a little later than 1.30. Because I do want to get to the topic of uh, stress and teens and anxiety. Is social media to blame? We'll get to that straight ahead. 113 News Radio WTMJ. One fifteen, News Radio WTMJ. So, I saw this yesterday, and I, I would like to get thoughts on this. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty on the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I have, and others have talked about this, where millennials are concerned for years. Now it's the next generation of teens, which aren't millennials. The, the uh, iGen, it's referred to, that group of people. They have a serious anxiety problem. Now, I, I have someone in my life, this is a young lady, who shared with me a while back that she has, not severe, but she has, I guess I would say, moderate to serious anxiety issues. She comes from a wonderful family. She did well in school. She was never bullied. She was an accomplished athlete, and she deals with this. So I asked her why, just as fate would have it, I saw her this morning, and I asked her why. She didn't explain her answer, which is unfortunate. She thinks that young people have anxiety because of social media. But I'm not sure what element she was referring to, and it's interesting. I teased this topic, and... I got a text on it, and the texter said, it's social media. These kids can't put their phone down. I'll revisit that in just a minute. Here are the numbers. Uh, This is a Pew Research Center study. Here are some categories. Anxiety and depression, bullying, drug addiction, drinking alcohol, poverty, teen pregnancy, and gangs. The biggest problem is the one, according to teens, I mentioned first, anxiety and depression. What percentage of teens do you think consider that a major problem? Anxiety and depression. 70%. 70% of teens. Minor problem, 26%. So it's either it's a problem, either major or minor, of teens feel that way. 70% major problem. Only 4% of teens say that's not a problem at all. Next is bullying. And I don't think it's a coincidence that those are number one and two. 55% say it's a major problem. 35% say bullying is a minor problem. These are teens. 10% say no problem. Drug addiction, 51%, 35%. 
13%, 51%, major problem. Drinking alcohol, 45%, major problem. Poverty, 40%. Teen pregnancy, 34%. Gangs, 33%. There is one that's not there that I found conspicuous by its absence. And that would be pressure to have sex. Because that is something that has given teens anxiety for a long, long time. But back to the top. Anxiety and depression. 70% see that as a major problem. Uh, A wonderful young lady who I spoke with today, she's 24 years old, She believes it's social media, but she didn't say why. I wasn't there to interview her. We were chatting. The first thing I get when I tease this topic is it uh, a text. It's social media. These kids can't put their phone down. Now, I have some theories on this. Social media, here's, here's what a lot of people get out of it, is validation. That's why you have people doing these crazy stunts. They want to get so many views on YouTube. They want to get so many hits. If someone doesn't respond to their thing right away, there's anxiety and depression. I have seen that. How come they remember? How come no one's noticing? What's going on? I don't really know what else it would be. By the way, getting good grades was the top pressure so they put pressure in different categories that's why uh, pressure to be sexually active wasn't there if you have any thoughts on this I'm just curious if you don't we'll move on to other things because we have plenty of things to talk about but if you do want to weigh in on that 414-799-1620 you can give us a call or text at the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line 120 News Radio WTMJ. One twenty-two News Radio WTMJ. Seventy percent of teens, Gen Z, I Gen, whatever you wish to call them, seventy percent say the the biggest problem issue. For their cohort, their generation, is anxiety and depression. And that saddens me. It just, it, it just does. Now, that doesn't mean they all suffer from, you know, the 70% suffer from clinical anxiety and depression. But I, I've been discussing this about and with millennials for years And I just, it's hard to understand, and I have, okay, I have my own theories on it with millennials, and this might be true for the same, for the next generation. Millennials were perhaps the most over-parented generation in history. That's where we got the phrase helicopter parent, in other words, always hovering. That may be part of it. A millennial that I spoke with today, tail end millennial, just kind of a tweener between uh, 
being a millennial and Gen Z, she felt it was social media. The first text I got on this is social media. I've asked for years, what, because I raised two millennials, and I'm speaking as a generation, what did we tail in baby boomers and Gen Xers do to these kids? Because it is such a serious problem. George writes from the 920, Strange when you take God out of a society, look what happens. It's all in the good book, and look at the statistics of those people who are Christians. Uh, It's completely different. Well, that's where a lot of us get our peace of mind. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Let's see. Uh, From the 262, I believe teens as well as adults suffer... From information overload, instant gratification, goals, choices, everything from choosing what courses to take, uh, uh, and then the rest of her text got cut, uh, cut off, but, or his, that's part of it. I mean, we just, everything is instant, immediate, automatic. I don't know, but what does that bode for the future that we have... Now it appears two generations, millennials and iGen or Generation Z, whatever. I I don't know if we've actually settled on what we are going to call them. But I, uh, I, I just, I wonder how that's going to play out. You know, we have seen, for example, we have seen many millennials, and I don't want to overgeneralize here, but many millennials delay adulthood i mean turning adulting into a verb look at me i'm acting like an adult well that's good you're 27 years old or older but that they've just delayed adulthood and i think that's part of this that's too stressful for them and i again that particular element i put back to um, overparenting, hovering parents. Hmm. Well, this is interesting. Someone is blaming it on the economy from the 262. They feel that in the current economic climate, they will never be, have financial stability. They felt the planet will be a toxic wasteland within their lifetime, and they feel previous generations have failed to address problems that would have fixed both of those things. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I can't. I can only speak for myself. When I do have stress, anxiety, which isn't very often these days, but when I do, it's usually not big picture. On the other hand, you do have a generation that was raised being, you know, focused on those things. Hey, you you really are supposed to worry about this. We are destroying the planet, and it's up to you to save it. Your generation. I saw. I don't know. By the way, I'm just I'm hypothesizing here. I'm not expressing an opinion. I don't know. But I know that it's it's not a good thing. And I and uh, you know my heart just goes out. That that there's so such a large swath of people in a generation. Okay, now Denise just texted something from the 920. I, I think this is part of it. Participation ribbons, uh, so your feelings aren't hurt. 
particularly with millennials. Again, they were so sheltered, they're the most protected generation ever. And you get out in the world, and it's not like that. And they're not prepared. They are not prepared to hear no. I remember a story from a few years ago. Millennials, they had a hard time. Uh, Those in the medical device industry, you know, sophisticated medical device, where you need medical background in your education to sell these things. So you have to be well-educated. And you could make six figures or more on commission selling these expensive devices. Well, what if, what if, what if people say no? What, what, what if I'm told, what if I'm rejected? I can't have a job where I might be rejected. So there's, I'm sure, more than one cause on this. Oh, yeah, the economic uncertainty thing. I mean, that, that's, a texter points out, that's far from new. Uh, I can, and I can relate to that. We can all relate to that at one time or another in our lives. I just find it very interesting. We are certainly not going to find the answer here. But I think it's, it's unfortunate, and I think the trend is accelerating from millennials to Gen Z. All right, let's, let's just spend a few minutes, and I mean that seriously, a few minutes on the Green Bay Packers. Oh, why not? Is it ever too early to talk about them? And should they or shouldn't they make a major trade? Are they even in the running to make that major trade? We'll just spend a few minutes on that. One thirty-five News Radio WTMJ. So after weeks, months of ripping his current employer, to no surprise, the Pittsburgh Steelers have agreed to trade superstar wide receiver Antonio Brown, and he is uh, one of the top receivers in the past decade or so in the NFL. If you read some of the sports writing, both within Packer Nation and from without, a lot of people feel the obvious and perfect choice, Green Bay. Right now, Aaron Rodgers does not have that marquee weapon. He's got some young, developing receivers, and I think you saw that as part of his problem. And in some ways, it could be a slam dunk. Gannett has a story, it's actually uh, at their Packer News, saying ESPN Stephen A. Smith in his relentless, agitating way, expressed support for the idea of pairing Brown with Devontae Adams in Green Bay, saying Wednesday that Brown would be an upgrade from Jordy Nelson in his heyday and would give the great Aaron Rodgers the greatest arsenal he has had in all his years in Green Bay. It would make life easier for those young developing wide receivers. Smith added that Green Bay can't get a running game to save their life, so they might as well fling the ball 45 to 50 times, and that's obviously something... That would make Antonio Brown incredibly, incredibly happy. And I guarantee you Aaron Rodgers would be happy as well. I don't think there's any question that it would make the Packers' offense better. Aaron Rodgers isn't getting any younger. He just turned, what is it, 35, was it, in December. And I do think they need to acquire all the weapons they can. However... 
Pete Doherty of Packer News says, no, don't do it. I want to just share this with you, and if we see any calls, we'll take them. Otherwise, we're on to other things. The Green Bay Packers should take a pass on Antonio Brown. The four-time first-team All-Pro is a gifted player, and he's available after recently asking the Pittsburgh Steelers to trade him. The Packers need playmakers on both sides of the ball, and Brown has been among the league's best receivers the last six years. On paper, lining him up opposite Devontae Adams will give the Packers the best pairing in the NFL. But Brown also was a blow-up waiting to happen, will be 31 by the start of next season, and reportedly wants a new contract from a new team. The Packers shouldn't invite a potentially huge problem into their locker room with a player who could start declining at any time and at a position where they have some decent young talent anyway. It's not a given the Steelers will trade Brown, but now it is. They have said yes. They they are going to trade him. Uh... Long and short, there's a good chance the Steelers will end up dealing him again. They are. Not that it means much, but at least the odds makers, betonline.ag, has the Packers tied for the best odds, 5-1, to one, to end up with Brown, behind only Arizona, 9-2. It's hard to know what it will cost to deal for Brown, considering his age and temperament. I think the best the Steelers could get for him would be a second-round draft pick, and even that might be high. I think this is a really tough call. He's 30, he'll be 31, hasn't really shown any decline, and just, just unhappy with the Steeler organization. You do have young, gifted receivers, but Aaron Rodgers, while still gifted, isn't young. I'm, I'm always cautious of trouble waiting to happen. On the other hand, Aaron Rodgers hasn't looked like Aaron Rodgers since before his most serious injury. I know, statistically, he had a pretty good season. Boy, there were some really weird-looking things going on, and I think a lot of that was mistrust of his young receivers. This is one of those things where I'm usually conservative, but I'm not going to be conservative this time. I think they should make a run that they should get in the trade derby for him. Be careful how much they pay. That's my take on this. I uh, I don't know, though. I say that reluctantly. But I just, I don't know if Aaron Rodgers can return to Aaron Rodgers' level. I don't think Devonta Adams is enough. He runs into injury issues. Yes, the young guys look like they are going to be very, very good. That may not be this season. Let me tell you something else the Packers need to do. They really need to get a quality veteran backup quarterback. They have to be more prepared than they've been in recent years. That's my thoughts. If you give a darn at this point in February, 414-799-1620 on the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you don't, run to other things. 140 News Radio WTMJ. One forty-three, News Radio WTMJ. Some text on this: The Steelers have agreed to trade Antonio Brown, great receiver. Um, from the nine two zero, Jerry, good to hear you on the waves again. Airwaves again, thank you. Uh, regarding Antonio Brown, negative, don't want him, bad attitude. Then George writes from the nine two zero. Remember Andre Risen, who led the help 
didn't lead, but helped the Packers get to the Super Bowl when they had massive wide receiver injuries in 96. To Greg in Waukesha. Greg, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jerry. I love your shows when you're on. You're not just another fill-in host. So I, I absolutely love your show. So first, I just wanted Thank to you. say that. Secondly, Thank you. I just think that the Packers, I'm, I'm, I was a huge fan of Draft and Develop, um, and it works in some situations, but I think the Packers might need to get where the getting is good. And yes, you know, Antonio Brown has his issues. He has his, uh, attitudes and things like that, but we've seen before how a team being part of another team can change that. Granted, we've also seen the opposite, so also give the benefit of the doubt. But I think the Packers need to get while they're getting good, and I would like to see another playoff come to Lambeau. Hey, thanks a lot for the call, and thanks for the kind words, Greg. I appreciate that. So here's where, and usually I am conservative on these things, as I said, but... I think you have to get, if you can get him for a second or third round pick, that I think it would be hard to say no to. Yeah, I understand. I mean, you know, a texter points out Martellus Bennett. I think that is an outstanding point. That tight end, boy, we have had rotten, rotten tight end luck. I mean, we just have in free agency with the exception of Jared Cook. Things that look really promising, players that look really promising, just have not panned out. Um, yeah, Jeff and Fox Point, the Packers have had other players with bad attitudes, haven't gotten good results. Bennett, for one. Uh, Andre Risen, you know, sometimes the change of scenery works. Sometimes a player brings that toxicity to the new scenery. It, it, it is really hard to say. But I've got to tell you, when it comes to longevity and durability, Aaron Rodgers has been pretty good, but he's not Brett Favre. He, of course, has had more injuries. And Favre had them. He just, I don't know, he was like freakish that he played through some injuries he shouldn't have. I I just, it's hard. Because my general tendency is don't bring trouble. It's, you know... It's the wheelbarrow of trouble. Does his talent allow him to push his own wheelbarrow of trouble? Actually, the way a friend of mine told to me, it's wheelbarrow of manure. Can you push, is your talent enough to push your own wheelbarrow of manure? Or does it start spilling over the side? I, I don't know. And we do have young and developing talent. I I think it's a really, really, really close call. But I think as long as you don't overpay, it's worth the gamble. There are calculated risks. It is a risk. And he may want too much money. The Steelers may want too much for him. If any of those things come to pass, then I would say, yeah, don't do it. That would that would be my take. But if you can get him for a reasonable price from the Steelers, and he's not insane with what he wants, then I don't know. 
to Ron in Waukesha. Ron, go ahead. I don't know. Ron? Hey. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. No. Okay. Um, no, I think they should stay away from Brown and work with the receivers. They've got, they've got some young good ones. And uh, work on getting a decent running back that doesn't get injured. They need that wow. one and they need another receiver. Especially a well, then maker. I- then what about Le'Veon Bell, who's going to be a free is a free will be a free agent for the Steelers? Yeah, uh, they should keep them, but they need another one too. <laughs> they, Ron, thanks a lot for the call. Well, there are two ways to look at that, though, and and I, I think it was Stephen A. Smith who pointed it out that they can't run the ball to save their lives, so you might as well get the weapons that Aaron Rodgers needs to light it up in the vertical game. Um, I don't know. Craig from Waukesha writing, uh, I'm, I do agree with you on Aaron Rodgers. I think his best days are actually behind him. I, well, again, if you have the weapons. By the way, texters are split on this. Pass, he's trouble. Take him, we need him. As for the caller's point on, we have young receivers. I believe they will develop all that much faster if you've got a guy like Antonio Brown. But there's also no guarantee that there's going to be immediate uh, uh, chemistry. Boy, what a... I just absolutely could not think of the word chemistry. That was weird. There's no guarantee that there's going to be immediate chemistry between Antonio Brown and Aaron Rodgers. We just... We don't know that. So, I again, it's a, it's a calculated risk. If they don't have to give up too much, I say take the risk. 150 News Radio WTMJ. One fifty three News Radio WTMJ. So Politico recently reported that Milwaukee has the inside track to land the Democratic National Convention next year. And in fact, Illinois Governor JB Pritzker has been involved in the behind the scenes overtures, apparently along with other Midwest Democrats, Midwestern Democrats, Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers. Still coming up with saying that, by the way. Well, I'm not on the air anymore every day, and just I don't have reason to say Governor Tony Evers. Said Governor Scott Walker for how many years now? Uh, Tony Evers this week said he is optimistic that, in fact, Milwaukee will land the DNC, the Democratic National Convention, in 2020. It's interesting to me how there seems to be, not a consensus, but certainly a lot of people within the Democratic Party that feel that Milwaukee strategically makes sense. Milwaukee is a finalist with three other cities, Houston and Miami. Now, I've heard Milwaukee referred to as a second-tier city compared to those two cities. In terms of destination cities, that's true. If you're a delegate, 
or anyone else in the media who will be traveling to the 2020 Democratic National Convention. I think we just have to have a self-awareness here. I, I love Milwaukee, but let's be honest, as a destination city, the other two, I shouldn't use the word sexier, but I just, I don't know what else to say. More cosmopolitan. They're larger cities. Yet the Democratic Party seems convinced that it's important to give this to Milwaukee to boost the prospects of Democrats carrying Wisconsin next year. I am skeptical as to how just how much that really helps. And I don't have any analytical data to back that up. You know, when it's in key states, Ohio or wherever, did it do anything to help? I just think spiffing a state with the convention is pretty low on the list. What kind of shape is Donald Trump in politically by 2020? Who's he running against, assuming it is Donald Trump, and I am at the moment? Who's he running against? What other, who knows, world events are going to happen between now and then? Any number of things. I think the convention in Wisconsin doesn't do much to boost your prospects. However, see, here's, here's where it's hard to say. What if Amy Klobuchar's the nominee? Which, by the way, I'm not, I'm not predicting that, but let's just say she is. You know, it's kind of her neck of the woods, being a Minnesota senator. That might help, especially when you consider Hillary Clinton ignoring Wisconsin. And I wonder how much of that is about this. That this is something of a reaction, I'm not saying it's an overreaction, but a reaction to Hillary Clinton ignoring Wisconsin in 2016, thinking she had it all sewn up, and she didn't. I, I don't know. That might be. I, uh, I don't know. On the other hand, you know, Miami, okay, Florida, of course, also a critical, critical state. But perhaps they just feel that, uh, I don't know, perhaps they feel Wisconsin is something lost, something that's theirs, that they need to get back, and this is the way to do it. We'll see. Because truthfully, I don't know of any other reason why Milwaukee would have the inside track and why top Midwestern Democrats like Pritzker would be involved in doing this. But it's pretty clear, unless, boy, unless all of these smoke signals are false, it's pretty clear that Milwaukee certainly, if not the inside track, they have a really good, the city of Milwaukee, the organizers, have a really good chance at this. And it will just be fascinating in general. How much interest will there be in Wisconsin? In, in the actual campaign next year. Because as you, as you walk through this, and you look at the motivation of Wisconsin having the convention, that means you might see, uh, they just may really see this as a possession they need to regain. Which means you might see a lot of campaigning, a lot of interest here, 
feeling that there's going to be buyer remorse by otherwise Democratic voters who voted for President Trump. It's going to be very interesting to see. If I had to bet a penny right now, I won't, but if I did, I would say Milwaukee probably gets it. And that will be pretty interesting to see if that's the case. All right, in the next hour, I want to, it's, it's not revisiting for me, but this topic was covered by Scott yesterday when he filled in in the mid-morning show uh, for Steve. It's just a fascinating story. I cannot believe coaches behave this way in a high school, in this case in Wisconsin, in 2019. I think there's a little more to say about it, so I'm going to say it and see if you want to talk about it in the next hour. 159 News Radio WTMJ. Third and final hour of the Jeff Wagner Show. Sounds Jeff Wagner. I have it on reliable information that he is in much warmer, snow-free climbs at the moment. Good for him. Jerry Bader in. One more day tomorrow. All right. I, I don't know if you were a fan. There's way no way for me to know. If you're a fan, I don't know you. A fan of the TV show Mad Men. I was. I just thought it was one of the most brilliant television dramas, perhaps ever. What they really captured, though, is the 60s. I mean, they just, as someone who barely remembers the 60s, I was eight years old when the 60s ended. But I remember what adults acted like. And the adults of my life, some of them, acted I'm not talking about the things that I didn't know what adults are doing, but just general speech mannerisms, that sort of thing. I I thought they nailed the 60s in terms of dress and so on. Many women who lived through the 60s will tell you that Mad Men also captured what it was like to be a woman in an office setting in the 60s. And the sexism, sexual harassment, as we know that hasn't ended, and it would be silly to think, you know, the hashtag Me Too movement validates that. That women face things that a lot of people wanted to believe they didn't face anymore in the, in the workplace. But it, that said, there's a scene where an ad exec at the fictional ad agency in Mad Men, at an at after-hours office party, chases a woman down and holds her, holds her down to pull her dress up so you can see what color her panties are. And then she gets up and says, walk me home. Different time, right? But is it? But is it really? This story, and again, this was covered by Scott during Steve's show yesterday, but I want to revisit it. For the second time in recent years, the American Civil Liberties Union is accusing the Kenosha Unified School District of creating a hostile environment for female students, this time after parents complain that Tremper High School cheerleading coaches bestowed Big Booby and Big Booty awards at their annual banquet, and teachers at Bradford High suggested in a health lesson that sexual assault victims were to blame for their attacks. I want to focus on the one, though on the awards banquet, because this is, I I don't even know what to say about this. 
So here's the actual letter. The ACLU issued a news release telling of a letter they sent to the Kenosha School District. This happened in March of 2018. I don't want to assume that you're familiar with the story, even though it is out there. I want to give you some backstory. The cheerleaders at Tremper High School in Kenosha looked forward to the annual spring banquet as, as a time to celebrate their hard work in the company of more than 100 friends and family. What they never expected was for the banquet to become a humiliating exercise in body shaming. In the banquet hall of a Kenosha restaurant in March 2018, the cheer coaches presented some squad members with most improved, hardest worker awards, you know, the kind you expect, as the crowd, yay, and took pictures. Yet not all the awards celebrated the cheerleaders' hard work and athleticism. The coaches also presented awards to the cheerleaders with the largest buttocks and the largest breasts as well as an award for being the thinnest cheerleader. That would be the uh, Beanpole, I believe it was, award. In video footage obtained by the ACLU, the coaches proclaim, we love her butt. Everybody loves her butt. I, 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 I don't even know what to say about this. Everybody loves her butt. As the recipient of the largest buttocks award made her way to the front of the crowded room. I can't even imagine what she felt like. Going up to get an award because you have a big butt. The three young women were not the first to receive objectifying awards. The large breasts and buttocks awards were also handed out during the 2017 cheer banquet. Additionally, a cheerleader with brown hair received a blonde wig as an award because she was deemed a ditzy girl. After the banquet, concerned parents had a coach of another team complained to the Tremper principal and the Kenosha Unified School District leadership. The coach emailed the principal, I feel that I need to tell you this for the protection of these girls. I don't think it takes much to see this as extremely degrading to women. She also directly contacted the lead cheer coach to discourage her from objectifying squad members. The cheer coach responded, I honestly don't feel that I need to explain myself about how we ran our banquet. Actually, we have run it that way for years and have never had a problem. An ACLU client, the mother of a cheerleader and an attendee of the banquet, followed up persistently with the school and school leadership about her concerns. Administrators repeatedly brushed her concerns aside, insisting that the awards were just a joke. Yet a memo the ACLU received through an open records request reveals that KUSD human resources officials tasked with investigating the complaints did not share the leadership's cavalier attitude. After interviewing the head cheer coach about the incident, she instructed the coach to submit her resignation. The principal rejected the official's recommendation and told the coach she was welcome back the following year. The coach still leads the cheerleading team to this day. Unfortunately, the cheerleader awards are not an isolated event. Then they talk about other things that went on. So what they have ultimately done, the ECLU, has said, you either fix this, you address this, or you're going to face a lawsuit. I think this is shocking and it is stunning to me that this could happen in 2018 
I have more to say about it, but if you want to weigh in on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620, 414-799-1620, News Radio, WTMJ. Two eighteen News Radio WTMJ. ACLU says if the Kenosha School District doesn't address this issue, they're going to file a lawsuit. At an awards banquet last year, in front of more than one hundred fifty people, one parent said coaches laughed hysterically when handing out the big booby award, incredulous that the girl could maneuver through cheer routines with her enormous boobs. And it cited video footage of the coaches giving out the Big Booty Award, telling the crowd, we love her butt, everybody loves her butt. <sighs> parents, at least some parents, were, uh, they, they just, they couldn't believe that these young ladies were being subjected to this. Oftentimes we dismiss things as political correctness. I truly do not believe this should be one of those times. I think it's completely, entirely inappropriate not everyone agrees with me this me too movement has sucked all the fun out of life nobody can make fun of anybody anymore without getting threatened with a lawsuit by the way i'm a blonde woman so teenage girls okay you're a blonde woman do you remember what it was the insecurities that came with being a teenage girl i if you're a dad and you're sitting there and your daughter is called out, or a mom for that matter, a parent. I, I'm, I'm a dad, that's why I said it. And your daughter's called up to be awarded for the size of her breasts. Yeah, r- really? That shouldn't make us uncomfortable, really? To Mark and Racine. Mark, hi, you're on WTMJ. Hey, you kind of just covered what I was going to ask you. Um, first of all, I don't have a teenage daughter, but if I did, I would not want her up in front of a bunch of people because of her breast size. Um, but what you didn't mention, and I'm curious about, what were the girls' reactions? Were they were they all in good fun, or were, were any of them mortified, the ones who won the awards? Don't know. I, I'm not seeing that anywhere, but let me ask you this. Uh, you know, an insecure teenage girl who doesn't want to make waves by complaining, is that what, how we should measure whether this is right or wrong? Oh, no, no, no. I wasn't asking for that reason. I'm just curious how, how the girls were taking it. Either way, I don't think it's a politically correct thing. I don't think it's tasteful. I think I don't. I hate to use politically correct terms, but it is body shaming. It sounds like to me. Well, I uh, and you're right. That is a political. It, 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 that term does grow from political correctness. But you know what? Sometimes things are what you call them. I, I yeah. I, I it's is that is that overused? I think that term is overused, but not in this case. Mark, thanks a lot for the call. I I, I just it, it, to me. Is like I said this to a friend. This is like a scene out of Mad Men, except with teenage girls. I, I am a father that had a teenage daughter, and I'll tell you what, I, I can't, I can't even imagine if she was called up under those for that reason. I, I she would have been devastated. She's twenty five now. But she would have been absolutely devastated. I know her. And I would have been beyond furious. I do not see this as good, clean fun. 
I, I, I just, I can give you a litany of reasons why, but personal experience, I, look, I remember what it was like to be the short fat guy in high school. I made it the goal to just be unnoticed. I mean, to be called up there because you have a big butt in high school? And then the way, at least if the ACLU has this accurate, the way they dug in when they were challenged on this. And it's amazing to me that the Kenosha, again, from what we know, that the Kenosha Unified School District didn't slap down a lot, lot, lot harder than this. Now, and here's the problem. So, in recent, well, I say in recent years, the last 25 years, yes, we have, we have had this divide. We've had this situation where you can't say anything. You can't say anything, this hypersensitive society. If you do, you're accused of being insensitive. You're accused of, well, how could you say such a thing? Because everything, everything to some people has become offensive. And you have to walk on eggshells. And that has become frustrating for some of us who think you should be able to laugh at yourself a little bit. But I think there should still be a line. I think there is a line. And I think that line is, you don't make fun of a teenage girl's physical appearance in front of 150 people. That, to me, I think, is the line. To Jeff in Brookfield. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. 228 News Radio WTMJ, talking about the Kenosha High School, where awards were given out for big breasts and big butts. To Candy in Milwaukee. Candy, hi, you're on WTMJ. Hi. I um, was telling the screener that I am well past being a teenager. I'm over 50. And when I was 12, I started developing. So I didn't do anything to enhance my breast. But up to age 60, um, where I had a reconstruction, people would talk to me, not at your face, but staring at my chest, uh, my breast, I should say. And here it is, all these years later, I still had a situation where I was, in, I was embarrassed by a feature of my body. So can you imagine these girls? They're not going to say anything because it's camaraderie. It's accepted. But it's not. Because here it is, you know, 40 years later, I'm still dealing with it. And it's not that I was dealing with it when I was a teenager and it stopped. It's all my life um, that I dealt with this stuff. So... When other callers are like, did anyone ask the girls? Okay, tell me, which team member is going to say, no, I don't like that? They're going to get picked on. They're going to be get the last position of doing things. They're not going to be accepted, so they're not going to come forward. So I'm glad that the parents stuck up for it and said, this is not acceptable. Candy, thanks a lot for the call. Thanks a lot for sharing uh, your personal story and uh, uh, just... Thanks a lot for a for an important call. 
Kinks. That's all I can say about that is, wow, 235. <laughs> you really got me, Kyle. You really got me with that one. I think that's the song, isn't it? Yeah, 235 News <laughs> Radio, WTFJ. Well, come on. It's the last half hour of the show. If I can't get a little punchy down the stretch, which has usually been my radio MO, Cherry Bader in for Jeff Wagner. All right, so it is 2.35. This is the last 25 minutes or so of today's show before we make way for John Mercure. Um, so I'm going to talk about a story that you just heard in the news and you've been hearing all day, Jussie Smollett. My mission, should I choose to accept it, is to say something about that story that hasn't been said in triplicate or quadruplicate or quintuplicate by talk show hosts all over America, including on this station. How do I do that? What's new about this? Well, let me give this my best shot. I don't know that I do really have anything completely new about it. I'm assuming you know the Empire actor, Jussie Smollett, has been charged with disorderly conduct, but it's a felony in Illinois for filing allegedly filing a false report claiming two men attacked him last month. Mega hats, you probably know the whole story. Noose. Chicago police are saying, look, he made this up. He was part of this, and they apparently have compelling evidence to that effect. I touched on this briefly yesterday. I read a, an article, a, a columnist from the Chicago Tribune. Here's the first lesson here. Is that we are in a era where the media report things, and by the way, this isn't just the media, but where there are different groups of people. It's called too good to check. Now, the media are trying to say that they didn't jump the shark on this story. Well, not every person who tweets or comments is the media. The media bit and bit hard on this story. They, there is just no disputing or denying that. He, he became a hero almost instantly. And Good, Good Morning America has to be kicking itself now. That's the first, because they, he was interviewed. That's the first thing. A friend of mine recently said she has a three-day rule. Anytime a story that even remotely makes you go, huh? She waits three days. And then doesn't necessarily weigh in, but she, or not weigh in, but form, she's not an immediate person, but form an opinion for three days. It's a really good rule. Now, I wasn't, I was in a stretch when this all broke where I wasn't paying that close attention to the news. I started brushing up on it when it came time to get ready to do Jeff's show for these three days. And as I did finally start digging, I mean, I heard about it, but I I wasn't paying close attention. Once I started paying close attention, I'm like, but then there was the adamant denial. And this is the part of the story that I find amazing. So in late January, there was a letter sent to the show Empire with racist, homophobic things about him, and the return address was just mega, make America great again. In the ABC interview, in the Good Morning America interview, he goes, what about that? Did I do that too? Oh my gosh. The allegation is he did. 
He did, and I understand the guy's an actor. I get it. I get it. He's an actor. Lines are in his mouth all the time that aren't real. I get that. And it does appear that this was indeed a performance. That said, this is still stunning to me, that he could that emphatically, that passionately deny all of this, when according to Chicago police, he's guilty. Yeah. Yeah, you would do the letter too, according to police. I, I just, it's almost impossible to believe any denial from pretty much whomever it hails. There's examples in politics. There are denials from the president, I don't believe. There's a deni- there was a denial from a representative from Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. He was on with Tucker Carlson when Carlson confronted him with that line in the New Green Deal to provide economic security for people unwilling to work. When confronted with, oh, that's, Tucker, you're falling for a hoax. You're falling for a hoax. No. It was on her website. It was on his boss's website. But that just seems to be the coin of the realm these days. Just deny, deny, deny. I've used this on the radio before. There's a movie, um, well, what's it called? Guide for the Married Man. And it's a 1967 movie. I think Walter Matthau, Sid Caesar, I think it is, and others. Joy Bishop. I stand corrected. Joy Bishop. It's, how, it's on how to cheat on your wife. There's a scene where Joey Bishop's character is in bed with another woman. His wife walks in. Who's that woman? What woman? And he just, he pretends reality isn't real. At the end, she asks him what he wants for dinner. The woman just gets dressed and leaves. And he continues to deny the existence of the other woman through the whole scene. She just... His denial is so convincing. She, oh, I guess there wasn't a woman here. Honey, what do you want for dinner? Now, 50 years ago, that seemed preposterous, right? That's the age in which we live. In Smollett's case, he, so he's denying it. And his supporters are hanging in there. Fox is hanging in there. Everybody's hanging in there. Well, come on. He wouldn't, he wouldn't really do that, would he, if he did this? Would he, would he really do that? Come on. And, yeah, he would. Those denials weren't real. And that, I, I got to tell you, it is disturbing to me. Even a professional actor, and I get he's a professional actor, but it's disturbing to me that anyone could be that adamant and even put their head in the lion's mouth and say, what, did I make up the letter too? Yeah! It's just, nothing is real anymore. And I I mentioned this yesterday. I, I stopped believing denials, and I hate this level of cynicism in myself. I truly, I do. But I stopped believing denials years ago. And I, and I ticked some of these off yesterday. 
Lance Armstrong didn't believe him. Ryan Braun didn't believe him. Brett Favre didn't believe his denials about the sexting. And I just, I, I, I just flat out don't believe denials anymore. This one just seemed. Uh, once I heard facts about it, the third thing. And I think this is probably the most important thing. So President Trump tweeted today you know, that this was basically an attack on millions of Donald Trump followers. Well, it was. But it was also an attack on people who have faced this type of attack because of the color of their skin or because they are a member of the LGBTQ community. And I understand that there are those in the media, those in the entertainment industry, that are going to be disappointed in him. They're going to be puzzled by this. And police say, and this is perhaps the most amazing thing, that the apparent motive here was because he didn't think he was getting paid enough. I'm not sure how he thought this was going to translate into a raise, even if he were believed. I I don't know. But the reality is, he's. I think he needs to face very severe consequences for his actions. And, and uh, there's another lesson here. Take, uh, my friend has a great rule with that three-day rule. The media has been bit so hard by this in the past few weeks. There was the Covington story. And it wasn't just the media, even some of us who consider, you know, some of us who are conservatives jumped too fast on that one. Uh, Probably the most famous was S.E. Cup, but there were others. The BuzzFeed story about President Trump. No one else picked up on that story. No, you know, no one else was, I should say, be able to independently report it. And you have a lot of stories about President Trump and some not about President Trump where there's no smoking gun. But we live in a world where people will believe immediately what they want to believe and then they have a hard time letting go of it. As the reports continue to drip out, I did... I I did suggest caution even yesterday because we didn't know he hadn't been charged yet. But caution is usually thrown to the wind when it comes to these things. Here's what I want to believe. And once I believe it, you're not going to shake me of it. So there's just, unfortunately, there are innocent people that are going to deny something. And very few people are going to believe them because sincere-sounding impassioned denials have become an art form. And a lot of people know how to do it effectively even when they're very guilty of something. So those are the lessons that I have taken away from here. The It used to be a joke, too good to check. I don't want to know if it's true or not. I just want to believe it. Too good to check. They used to be a joke. It's becoming standard journalistic practice these days. Wow. Uh, A couple of listeners are reminding me of something 
from a long, long time ago. Morton Downey. Gosh, do you remember Morton Downey Jr.? Late 1980s. And then there was, uh, he had a fake swastika attack where someone allegedly put a swastika scrawled on his face. Police could find no corroborating evidence, and because there was a young teenager present who saw nothing resembling a gang of head-shaving Nazis, and most importantly because the swastika was painted on his face backward, as though he did it to himself in a mirror, while well, world opinion was pretty much unanimous that he'd faked the incident. His show was canceled a couple months later. I had forgotten about that entirely. And, I mean, there, there are others outside the media as well. It will be interesting to see. By the way, Bond has been set at $100,000 cash. Chicago PD are hacked off about this. Chicago leaders believe it's a black eye for Chicago. Here's a question I don't have an answer to. I, and I don't. And we, we don't have time to take calls on it. Maybe we'll do this tomorrow. Yes or no? Is his career over? Is he done? Or will at some point, will the entertainment community allow him back? Will he be able to be restored, as it were? Will there be some sympathetic angle to this story? Telling you what, right now, as someone who has a a loved one who could face this type of, of thing for real, I don't have a lot of sympathy for him right now, especially when you hear the motive. I'm trying to trying to do the Christian thing here. But I'm struggling with it because he has done a lot of damage. As a result, I think there needs to be serious consequences. 249 News Radio WTMJ.